0: All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Hey, if you are um, joining us online, uh, we want to say, I know we don't often say it, but want to say good morning to you. And, and I hope at some point you'll be able to make your way back here to Mercy Church, one of our gatherings. I believe the gathering to be so important to us week in, week out. And I want to say a special good morning to our core team up at our Northeast campus who is preparing for our December 5th grand opening in our new facility. We love you guys and are so excited about what the Lord is doing among us there. Uh, Y'all, we have come to the end of our Song of Solomon series. Um, Last week was a wonderful, worshipful conclusion to our study of this book. I'm so just encouraged. It's a joy to be your pastor. Um, I'm so encouraged by the responses uh, that I've heard from you um, about how God has used uh, this study as kind of a pivotal season in many of your relationships. In fact, I don't really know what else to to how else to describe the season that we've been in this fall other than a season of renewal um, in our church, and I'm so grateful for it. Uh, we say that we expect God to change your life today. That should start with me, and yet here I find myself um, just a little bit unexpected of just what the Lord has done and been so grateful. A few weeks ago, I told you I felt like we needed to add, for lack of a better word, kind of like a bonus track onto the Song of Solomon series. That's because the book itself focuses on romantic love. And I'm glad we took time to focus on uh, romantic love. But in talking about love for two months and in most of that, finding its application in marriage, I recognize that if you're not married, you could have felt a little sidelined. I want to thank our singles for receiving this series so graciously. I know you learned a lot about God's way of love. And I know that you've heard and seen its application beyond marriage. And you've told me as much. That said... I set this week aside because I think since this series was about relationships, it creates an opportunity that we just needed to take advantage of, and that's for all of us to see God's design for singleness as well. So if you're married, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to step into the shoes of our single brothers and sisters that they have been walking in the past two months and for you to learn how you can encourage them where they are in their station in life. So today, we're going to talk about the single life. And the second, y'all, you start to think through just a little bit through church history, man, you start to realize quickly how pivotal the single life has been to the advancement of Christianity across the world. Like, we're going to take a look. um, Our primary text today is going to be 1 Corinthians 7. So, you got your Bible, you can make your way there. And Paul, the writer of the book that we're looking at, was single. We don't know why he was single, if he had been widowed or divorced prior to becoming a Christian. It might be that his wife left him because he became a Christian. Whatever it was, we don't know. We know he was single. Not only was he single, but the man he writes about, Jesus, who inspired his words, was also single. Right? The the one that we worship um, every single week was single. I don't know if you you recognize this. Every time you pray, you pray to a 33-year-old single man. Right? Right? And y'all, you start to think about the rest of church history, most of the early church fathers whose theology built the foundations that we still stand on today. You think about guys like Augustine and Athanasius and Tertullian. They were single, right? You think about the story that sparked the modern missions movement. It was started by two single men, David Nitchman and Jonathan, or excuse me, Johann Dober. They sold themselves into slavery so that they could go and preach the gospel to African slaves. Think about Mother Teresa, who moved to India and served the poor in the name of Christ and sparked a whole nother segment of the church movement through her work. She was single. A third of all missionaries currently on the mission field right now are single. I think of our own Catherine Mitchell, surrendered her life and her legal profession here in the States to go share the gospel with high school-age girls in Kenya. She saw a need. She took advantage of the freedom that she had in the moment. And she went. I got to be there a couple of weeks ago just to see the fruit of, of the Lord's work through her. It's incredible. And I bring all that up because single people often get kind of a rough deal in the church. It's often the case, as it is here at Mercy, that pastors and church leaders are married. Listen, I have zero experience as a single adult, okay? I got married at 21 to the girl I started dating when I was 15. She thought I was 16, but that's gonna told her that. But I was 15, okay? But either way, like... I just, I get it. And I know because of my unfamiliarity with being single as a church leader, I can unintentionally create a whole ministry that caters more to married people. And I'm aware of this because Courtney and I have had the joy of living life in the church alongside of single people. I mean, most of the community groups we've led and spaces that we've been in, we've had more single people involved than the married people. Most of our close friends, many of our close friends, I should say, were in our single and God has taught us a lot about how a single person experiences the church through those friendships. I just want to acknowledge and say we're always trying to listen and learn here. I want, to, I want to do that because I love the church, and I want this to be a place where you can grow as a follower of Jesus, regardless of your marital status. I love you guys. And not only does history and present reality teach us the gospel advances uh, in a uniquely powerful way through the ministry of single people, I just recognize that if we're going to reach our city and reach our context... Our context is filled with single people. And we need a church that, where single people feel welcomed and equipped for ministry. Y'all, right now, presently in Charlotte, 52% of men and 38% of women in our city are single. So if we want to reach our community, we've got to ensure our ministries here have in mind the realities that single people walk in. And y'all, listen, when this is beyond just the like 23-year-old young professional or something like that. You recognize one out of every three households in Charlotte that have children. One out of every three households with children is a single parent household. That's, that's just the reality of the city that we're ministering in. So when I'm talking about single people, I'm talking about moms and dads too. And let's bring it a little closer to home. At present, 40% of the adults who are members of Mercy Church are single. Praise God for that. It means, in fact, we do look like our community. And I think this is because we keep the gospel at the center of our ministry here, and that's not specific to one group or another, but 40% to me is also a stewardship and mobilization opportunity. There are a unique set of challenges single adults face in, in following Christ, and God speaks to them, and we have his word to navigate us. So it's good for us to learn together from God's word on how he intends for single adults, single adults to flourish in the moment he has placed them in. So today we look at the single life. Like I said, 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to get some help from Matthew 19, uh, but 1 Corinthians 7 will be our, our big passage. Corinth, where Paul is writing to, was a city filled with singles. It was a big city right on a coastal trade route. There were lots of young, ambitious people. Immorality was also rampant there. That's because free sex was literally a part of the state religion. And now some of these folks that have been living there have all of a sudden become Christians. And Paul's got a church you know, obviously made up of a lot of a single people previously have been very sexually active. And now he's trying to help them understand and experience the wonderful blessing of living as they were created by God to live. So let me give you our big idea to, for today. It's really simple. It's the thing that I hope that you'll take away. If nothing else, we're going to talk about the value and the purpose of singleness. But here's, here's in a statement, God gives singleness as a good gift for the purpose of glorifying him. God gives singleness. The same God who we said for eight weeks is love, made love, and gives love. God gives singleness as a good gift for the purpose of glorifying him. Simple outline. We're going to talk about the value of singleness, that good gift. Then we're going to talk about the purpose of singleness, glorifying him. First thing Paul's going to do is dispose of the myth, starting in verse 7, that marriage is somehow a superior state to singleness. Many people both then and now have this habit of thinking that you're like incomplete until you finally reach the destination of marriage. We talked about that a whole lot in this series that, listen, a person does not, cannot complete you. They can't. Can't do it. In fact, if you go into marriage thinking, well, now, finally, this person will complete me, We talked about how you're just going to drown that person under your neediness right? There's only one person that can complete you, and that's Christ. Only he can meet that deep soul need. Paul says instead, he just kind of flips it. It changes the whole game on us. He says, actually, marriage and singleness are both gifts. What are gifts for? We're going to talk about this a lot. Gifts are for building up the body of Christ, It's actually the purpose of your station in life, whether it's married or single. I'm getting so ahead of myself. I'm just kind of excited about it. The purpose for marriage and singleness, if they are gifts given by God, gifts, spiritual gifts, are there to build up the body of Christ. So so your singleness and your marriage are not for you. They're for the church. To see Christ through the station in life that God has you in. Let's just get into verse 7. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God, One person has this gift, another has that. The all people, whereas I am, he's talking about how he is single. And actually, y'all, many in church history have been tempted, and some at present, to actually think, well, then what Paul is actually saying is singleness is better, superior to marriage. And you had some early church fathers, some of those that I mentioned, that actually applied it like that. Singleness is varsity, and marriage is JV. I'm telling you, I even had some times in college, we would study this thing, and you know, I was dating Courtney at the time, I was thinking about getting married, and I'm like, man, am I actually... Am I selling out a little bit here? I started feeling guilty about Mary and Courtney because it felt like, according to these verses, real Christians didn't bother with superficial things like marriage. Is that what Paul's saying? I don't think so because Paul says each has his own gift. Gift, like I said, it's used to talk about spiritual gifts elsewhere, the same word. So singleness is a gift from God, and so is marriage. These are Our gifts, and just like different believers have different gifts, we're not called to be envious or boastful about our gifts. We're called to embrace them as from God and use them to build up the body of Christ. So what's the value of singleness? God gives singleness as a good gift. It's good. It's a good gift from him. And then according to Genesis 2.18, marriage is good. A union reflecting the love of God for his people in an intimate and beautiful way. 1 Corinthians 7 is going to say it's good for a man not to marry. So singleness is good, but then marriage is good. Singleness allows you to be single-mindedness in your devotion allows you to be single-minded in your devotion to the Lord, but marriage also teaches you so much about how to depend on the Lord through your interdependence with a spouse. Both are good and they're there like I said for building up the body. And here's the thing, The only way that singleness and marriage are going to build up the body is if we as believers choose to live life together as single and married people and not to segment off based on marital status. This is why we really don't have much of our ministry here that is devoted specifically. We do some things every now and then, but especially when it comes to community groups, we try and keep them based more on geography than on life stage because a gift of singleness and a gift of marriage, I'm going to see something about the Lord through how you follow him in your singleness that I cannot get in my marriage. I'm going to be built up through that and likewise you through my marriage, but only if we're actually around each other, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. In fact, I think one of the things we're going to talk about, how do you discern the spiritual gift of singleness versus the station in life of singleness? And one of the reasons I think people sometimes struggle with that is because they're only around other people that are asking the same question. I and mean, maybe if you got into the place where you have some people that were able to look in without also being in the same spot as you, I maybe mean, you could benefit so much from just having someone to talk that through with. We're building each other up when we are. You know what makes me ache? What makes me ache is when I see a church ecosystem in a city where people move churches based on their marital status. All oh, that makes me ache cuz we're missing. We're missing so much of what God offers us in these different gifts. These are good gifts. Singleness is a gift, he says. And listen, I want to say that if if you don't have it then, if you don't have that gift, there's no sense living like you do have it. You know, it's, it's like any other spiritual gift. You may think it'd be great if you did have it, but since you don't, you're not going to do anybody a favor by acting like you do. It's a gift from God. For some, it's a period of time. For others, it's a more permanent state. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So the answer to singles who ask that question, well, do I have the gift or not? Uh, Should should I get married? Paul keeps going. Verse 8, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it's better to marry than to burn with desire. All right, so Paul's acknowledging here people who are single but may not have the gift of singleness, If you don't have, first he starts with, if you don't have self-control, if you're overwhelmed by sexual desire, probably don't have the gift. But let me say this first. Paul, what he's doing here is being a gracious shepherd to young, immature Christians who are like, hey, I really want to have sex. And if that's you, listen, the Bible is saying, all right, there is a concession being made here. In fact, a very unique one that you don't see when it comes to other things like, man, I just really want to eat only fatty foods and be a glutton. The Bible doesn't go, well, you know what? Okay, then you should do that, right? (laughs) Or I really want to find my approval in people. You know what? Why don't you go right ahead? We'll make an exception. No, this is a really unique thing because marriage is also a gift. But please remember what we said in our sermon on sex. Sex is about serving your spouse, not yourself. Your lack of self-control will not be fixed by getting married. That's a spiritual problem. So before you can really ask, do you have the gift of singleness? Maybe you need to ask, am I surrendered to God? Am I really walking by a spirit? Because a spirit brings self-control. But God is saying here, there's a concession if you're burning with desire. And some of you couples who've been dating and trying to honor God physically, it's driving you crazy. This text is basically God saying, get married. And I counsel this often. Like, what are you waiting on? Stop playing around, get married. Listen, we're so saturated by the modern sexual revolution that many Christians have assumed that if you burn with desire, you should just satisfy the desire. Who's in charge there? Desire. Desire is who's in charge. Desire becomes God. And here's the problem, though, y'all. Desires change constantly. And if you keep following them, you will never be happy. You'll experience moments of pleasure and a lifetime of pain. But God actually says moments of restraining your desires and and then aligning them to his will will bring you a lifetime of satisfaction. And Psalm 16 is going to say at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to say right there, there's a difference between singleness as a life station. All right. Which we all have. All adults are single before they are married. Okay. So there's a station in life of singleness and then there's singleness as a gift. Both are from the Lord. All right. Everybody who is single is called to full obedience to God in that station in life and to obey the Lord fully and with joy and thankfulness to make the best of the moment, the most of the moment, I should say, that the Lord has placed to him by serving him fully. That's true in every station of life. But yes, there may be a season in your adult life where for you, you're in the station of singleness, but you're waiting on the gift of marriage. And the Lord has appointed that, and that's good. And it'll serve you well to see your singleness Even if it is just a station for now, you should probably see it as a gift. Doesn't mean it will be for all of life, but we are wise to see anything and everything from our Heavenly Father as a gift. And I know, here's the thing, though, that gets me. The not knowing when the station will give way to the gift of marriage, that's the same thing that's so hard about so much of following Jesus. So, Lord, I'd really be willing to follow you if you just would tell me how long this is going to last. Right, That would be a whole lot easier for me. And that's definitely true. My brothers and sisters who are single have told me. Because if you desire marriage, which is a good desire, singleness is one of those things you can't be fully in control of. So what are we left to do when we encounter those kind of moments before the Lord? Man, it's the Lord's Prayer again. Give me today my daily bread. right? Because I just got to trust you with today. And that's hard, but it is rewarding. If your question is, well, then should I remain single, I actually want to bring in Jesus's words in Matthew 19 to help us out. There's a guy named, an uh, old theologian named John Stott. He was one of the greatest theologians in the past 100 years. He said his whole, in his whole life, these words of Christ really helped him define, um, helped him understand how he would walk through life because he was single his whole life, um, and it was these words of Christ that helped him embrace the gift of singleness. He didn't write about singleness much. John Stott didn't write very much. He actually wrote very little about it because he was like, it doesn't define my life. Marital status is not going to define my life. But he was sharing and just kind of a little bit about his story. These verses right here were so critical it was Matthew 19, verses 11 and 12. Jesus responds, he's responding to the disciples. <laughs> who say, man, if marriage is going to be like that, then maybe nobody should get married. Uh, It was just a little conversation they had. And then Jesus says, well, he responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only to those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. And he has said it on the front and he says it again on the back. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. And Stott took this passage and said, okay, there are three reasons it seems that people remain single. Three ways that God gives the gift of singleness. And it's important to notice, Jesus says, not everybody's going to be able to accept this. Only to those whom it has been given. The first way, in verse 12, some are single. And will remain single because the condition they were born in will mean that to follow Jesus requires them to remain single their whole lives. A eunuch is one who will remain single and celibate their whole lives. This is Jesus accounting for how sin has corrupted the world. It's Jesus pulling on Genesis chapter 3 where it says sin entered the world and corrupted the world. Sin enters the world, and so now the world that we live in every single day just isn't the way it should be. Every time you have that feeling, this is not the way it should be. That's you experiencing your theology. The theology of Genesis 3 of sin corrupting everything, corrupting us physically. This is every time you think cancer shouldn't be that way. COVID shouldn't be that way. You're right. They shouldn't be that sin corrupting the world, which is why Romans says creation groans with longing for the day of its redemption. The whole concept and reality of death facing us shouldn't be. Right? Conflict between one another shouldn't be. And Jesus is bringing that all to bear and say, yes, that's even true here. This is Jesus accounting for sin and how it's broken the world. Perhaps it's a physical defect or perhaps it's sexual attraction to the same gender. So let's talk about that for a second. Because some in the church family will choose singleness because as long as they've been aware of sexual attraction, they have been attracted to people of the same gender as they are. And this is important and I recognize it is a lightning rod in our culture. I recognize this is the moment. This is the clip that gets clipped and we get canceled because of it, but cancelers didn't create the cosmos, so I'm not too worried about it, okay? Listen, God's call to all Christians is to choose to submit all personal desires, sexual and otherwise, to the lordship of Jesus. And that means that these believers likely will remain single their whole lives. There are some who the Lord brings about a change of sexual desire over time. Uh, You can see Rosaria Butterfield's wonderful book, um, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, where she explains going from a gay activist to a a wife of a pastor and a mother. And you can hear about that. And I think it's okay to pray for that change. But the answer to that prayer is entirely the Lord's prerogative. Therefore, just as being married does not mean you are more spiritually mature than being single. Being attracted to someone of the opposite sex does not mean you are more spiritually mature than someone who is attracted to a person of the same sex. You got to understand that culture will tell you very loudly that if you experience same-sex attraction, you deserve to satisfy that desire. Sexual fulfillment is your right. And that would be the same message that was preached in Corinth in Paul's day. And in that belief, again, we're back to who has authority. Well, you, your desire has ultimate authority. But I'll go ahead and tell you that you are an exhausting, extremely difficult God to follow. You'll eventually have an even greater identity crisis because you'll find out that you're not really God at all. If, however, there's a higher authority, as we Christians claim, then that authority has say over our lives. Now, what do we do then? Well, some Christians have and will continue to bend their interpretation of Scripture in order to satisfy the winds of culture. But if Scripture is God's word, we must not adjust it to fit our will, but instead we must adjust to God's will. And that's true whether you are same-sex or opposite-sex attracted. We've shown several times in the series that scriptures teach sex is reserved for marriage. Sex is not reserved for a man and a woman. Sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman. It's a very important distinction. So regardless of your sexual desires, we are to submit to the Lord in all things. So what's the way forward? It's the way of Christ who surrendered his will to the Father's will, who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet is without sin. That's why we major on the gospel here. Because in Christ, your sexual desires do not define you. No, he speaks. In our world, they do define you right now. But Christ speaks a better word over you. Son, daughter, daughter. So if you experience same-sex attraction and wonder, is this the church for you? The answers are resounding yes. There are members of our church who are same-sex attracted and because they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have submitted their desires to the Lord and choose not to act on those desires just as any other single person would. And in doing so, they are heroes of faithfulness walking among us. And in God and his grace what he does is he offers a gift of singleness and offers a way forward to walk in that. What a gift. And listen, some of you, um, you're going to need to listen to that. What I just said a couple of times to fully get your mind around. I guess is obviously, like I said, a lightning rod in our culture. Let me bring us back to Jesus's words. He says, some are born eunuchs, some are made eunuchs by men. Uh, Stott says this would include victims of the horrible ancient practice of forcible castration, but would also include those who remain single under any compulsion or external circumstance. You think of the daughter who feels under obligation to forego marriage for a season in order to care for elderly parents or something like that. It says others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. These are people who, under no pressure from within or without, voluntarily put marriage aside, either temporarily or permanently, in order to undertake some work for the kingdom that just demands single-minded devotion. For these people in these situations, I'd encourage you to pray and ask the Lord for the strength and joy to walk forward in your singleness. I encourage you to guard yourself against getting lost in wondering, is this permanent or temporary because the Bible doesn't talk a lot about whether it's temporary or permanent. That's us trying to get ahead of God again. And I know how much we get tempted to do that. Instead, I'd ask, I'd ask you to ask God for humility, to embrace your singleness as a gift from God today. And that's a discipline that will yield a whole lot of fruit. And Stott uh, referenced him just one more time. and said in his story, he thought he was going to get married a couple of times, one in his 20s, one in his 30s. And both times he kind of walked away from it because he was like, I need to give my attention to the writing and work that I'm doing. And he said it became clear in his forties that God had given them the gift of singleness. That took time to understand, but he said because he embedded himself into the local church and he said, it's so there, there's a loneliness that only single people can understand. He said, but also a provision from the Lord that only single people can understand. He said, and then he had a church family. He said, I, I have 116 nephews, <laughs> is what he said. He was talking about uh, the brothers and sisters he had and the children that they had because he was embedded again, embedded in the church family using his gift to build up the church. You are more, I can't say this enough, more than your marital status anyway. Marital status is a gift to glorify God, which leads right to the second part of our sermon. What's the purpose of your singleness? The value of your singleness is a good gift, which means, again, married brothers and sisters, we are to encourage singles in our church to receive that gift as a good gift and to seek to draw from it. It also means we have got to be the ones that go first in inviting single people, not just to babysit our kids, but to be involved in our lives. Okay? So that's a big thing. Uh, We've got to pour ourselves out for the building up of our brothers and sisters. I say that as we go into what's the purpose of your singleness. It's to bring glory to God. Verse 26. Because of the present distress... I'm back in 1 Corinthians 7. Thanks for hanging with me as I jump between these two. Because of the present distress, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. That's just a good little word for married people. A little aside in here for us today. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she is not sinned, but such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. <laughs> There's some married people in the room. That's uh, that seems to be evident. Um, in short, y'all, Paul's saying, don't, don't waste your singleness. When he was writing this, life was particularly tough for Christians. He's like, I don't know that you want to add marriage to this. Like, Christians were getting arrested. They were getting butchered in arenas. In AD 51, there was a massive famine that broke out in the area that he's writing to. It was tough. And I imagine if, I mean, all I could do is really imagine, but we're not under a lot of those same conditions. Maybe he'd look a little more favorably on marriage. But what it does mean either way is that there can be times in your life where it's more advantageous for you to wait on marriage because marriage brings with it a divided life. Maybe it's a global missions assignment. Maybe it's more education. Maybe it's a local mission that, again, you're going to have to really immerse yourself completely to accomplish it. If the Lord has given you this moment, don't squander it by unnecessarily adding concerns to your life. Verse 32, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so she may be holy both in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Personal experience. Marriage is wonderful. We've talked for two months. It's wonderful. But it has slowed both Courtney and I way down. And our effectiveness for the mission, the number of times that I have to say no to the mission of God, to ministry is brutal to me. Sometimes it's like, I just can't, it's not going to get on the schedule. Sometimes it's there on the schedule and I got to cancel because something happens at home. And that's my first priority. And that's not even thinking about things like short term mission trips. It took an act of Congress to plan for Courtney to go on a short-term mission trip in 2020, and then COVID killed it. Um, Y'all, it's just just, there's more to consider. These are the distractions of the world. I want to get a PhD to grow as a theologian and become a better preacher. Every year for the past 12 years, Courtney and I sit down and briefly have that discussion. Is this a year? And every year it's been, nope. Why? Because our distractions, scripture term, come first. (laughs) As married people, we're both distracted. That doesn't mean we are bitter. We're not bitter at all about that. It just means the Bible's right, you know? We want to follow the Lord, and it means we go slower in that than singles do. So, again, brothers and sisters who are single, I want to acknowledge the, like I said, there's a a certain, sometimes, and maybe it's even in the church, a pain that comes with being single where the church has not exalted your singleness properly, and for that I apologize to you and and long for your forgiveness and long to see you equipped and exalted for the moment because what Scripture is telling you is don't waste this moment. And we don't want you to waste this moment. We want to equip you for it because God has afforded you a unique opportunity to focus both on him and on the mission field around you. During our launch phase of Mercy Church when we were first planting a few years back, man, I was really struggling and kind of came down to really, I think what we're talking about here today, I was struggling with where to live in Charlotte. I wanted us to be in like wherever the highest dens- density, population of people was in the whole city. That's where I wanted the Shelton family to be. I was like, we're going to get a two bedroom apartment in South end with our family of six of four small kids. That's where we're going to be. <laughs> right. And there was a, a young woman, single woman on our launch team. Was, she said to me in a moment that was totally God speaking through her. She's like, pastor Spence, look, You need to go live out there where families live so you can reach them. And you need to trust God with our church. And let us who are single live among singles and reach them. Also, you and Courtney are going to kill each other if you do this. (laughs) And that will be bad for our mission. (laughs) Um, It was a gracious early tone setter for us because I'm your pastor, but I'm also a husband and dad. And God has positioned some of you for different ministry impact. I want to equip you and encourage you not to waste it. I'm not saying we silo off from one another in that, okay? Not at all. All right? What I'm saying, though, is look at your station in life and see, man, don't wait on somebody else to tell you, especially on me to tell you how to reach the single community. Instead, pray and fast with some single and married friends together and then come share where God is leading you. We're a congregational church, which means we believe and bank on the Holy Spirit leading the members of our church, and then we collectively mobilize and get behind where God's taking us. Again, like I said, I'm not saying we segment on marital status. It's the opposite, right? But it's best when married and singles are growing together in their in community together, but I'm saying when it comes to our station in life... There are things that you're seeing if you are single that married people aren't seeing. And the same is true the other way around. And the question to put before the Lord is how can you glorify God with where he has you right now? Because it is a good gift from God for the purpose of glorifying him. I want to give us just a brief moment to prayerfully respond to the Lord together. Our teams are going to come and they're going to lead us through the taking of communion after that. But if you would, I'd ask you to just bow your head and let's spend a moment just praying and responding to the Lord together. If you are married, I want to ask you to do something that may be a hard thing, something I've sensed the Lord calling me to do, which is to repent for where I've taken my single friends for granted and haven't sought to build them up in the body. And then to ask for Grace from the Lord and for opportunities to be a part of a community here, to build community, friendship with brothers and sisters who are single so that Mercy Church can continue to grow into the body, the kind of body of Christ that honors the Lord and shows something different to our city. And then if you're single, while our married people are praying through that, if you're single, men, I just want to ask you a couple, a couple of questions to pray through. One is, do you believe that singleness is a good gift? Do you believe it? And maybe it's a little bit of repentance there of have, if you've been bitter, bitter towards the Lord. God, I receive this moment. Whether it's my gift from here on out or just a station in life, God, I receive it as a good gift from you. And then you pray, help me to glorify you in it. And as you're praying, remember Christ. This is why we're going to finish by taking communion. Because the gospel announces a word not of your marital status, <laughs> but of your eternal status as a son or daughter of God. He came. He lived the perfect life that you were meant to live. Sin corrupted your desires, every single one of us. And we ran away from God. But in his love, even when we were bitter towards him, angry towards him, even when we just dismissed him apathetically, man, he still loved us. He died on the cross for your sins and mine, and he rose again, defeating sin and death, offering you forgiveness from your sins and eternal life. And you can receive that forgiveness today. Christian, maybe you need to change around the room from single and married to Christian and not. And Christian, maybe you need to just receive afresh, the grace of the Lord, be reminded, hey, thank you, God, for saving me. I know I'm messed up. I know I got a lot. Oh, man, I got so much. I'm so far from the image that you've called me to, a lot that I need to receive from you, but I'm going to walk not in my own strength but in yours. Thank you, God. If you're not a Christian, receive that forgiveness today. God, I receive it. I believe you died for my sins. I receive your forgiveness today. Thank you for where you have me right now. I receive that as a gift from you. And in your strength, I'm a walk forward. You continue to pray. And then our teams will come and lead us here in just a moment.